Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. This morning we're beginning our Advent series, God With Us. We're going to primarily focus on this aspect of Emmanuel, God with us. And throughout church history, the, the church has celebrated Advent. Advent is a, comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means the arrival or the approach. And there's different themes, hope, joy, peace, love. And we focus on these themes through this thing of the incarnation. God putting on flesh, God putting on skin and bones, the fullness of God squished down into a little baby boy named Jesus. And so I wanted to continue uh, reading in Isaiah as Billy led us this morning, just a couple of chapters over. You don't really need to do anything. Uh, Words are not going to be on the screen or anything. All you need to do is just be present with God and receive what he might have for you. Because the truth is, I could say a whole lot of things this morning, but what we've really come here for is to experience God. What would God say to you? I can say all sorts of things, but only God can speak the language of your heart. And he has things that he'd like to speak to you this morning. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 9. You're welcome to close your eyes, maybe hold out your hands. This is a prophecy from Isaiah. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire for to us. A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you, God, for your word to us. And thank you, Jesus. You are the Son who is given For unto us a child is born. God, would you enable me to say something positive, something that speaks of hope? Would you speak through me, God? 
I pray that you would give the gift of hope to many who are here this morning. I pray that the gift of hope would just begin to land on each one of us. Jesus, we pray that your kingdom would come, your rule and your reign among us. And we pray, start with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So throughout history, Christians have spoken of three comings of Christ. Christians have spoken of the coming of Christ at Bethlehem in flesh. Christians have spoken of Christ coming daily in our hearts. And Christians speak of the future coming of Jesus when he comes, as Billy reminded us, in all of his glory and consummates the kingdom of God. So today, today the, the, the game is to look back to see where hope first hits the scene, to acknowledge the present moment where we carry and share hope with our world, and to look forward in hope and to the consummation of the kingdom. I came across these videos from this group called The Bible Project, a wonderful uh, group who shares these animated videos who just kind of enlighten the scriptures for us. And in this video, you'll see a really great working definition of biblical hope. So check this video out. This is The Bible Project on hope. Yeah. 
slavery and evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope. And they used the Greek word elpis to describe this empty tomb. The Apostle Peter says that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people could be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the elpis of glory. In both cases, this elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The apostles believe that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom from God's children of glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy. And maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That is the biblical word for hope. So good, right? You got it? Okay, cool. So like we heard in the video... Our main scripture this morning is primarily going to be 1 Peter 1, 3, where Peter writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what we learn here from Peter, first off, is that our hope is securely anchored in the past or in a person or in history. Sometimes when we talk about hope in our day and age, we talk about it as something so ethereal and out there and something that we can't see or taste or touch or prod. You know, it's kind of like this kind of idea that that we're supposed to feel around Christmas time that gives us the warm fuzzies because it inspires us to buy more things or something. But as we learn from Tim Mackey in the Bible Project, biblical hope looks different than that. Biblical hope is firm, it's secure, and it's based in history. Hope indeed is a person. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that those two, uh, the name of Jesus and the word hope could be synonymously interchanged for one another. Jesus is the embodiment of hope. And here's the thing, if that's true about who Jesus is, here's the thing, that hope shows up unexpectedly and surprises us. Always. There's this old poem, and before I go getting emails for heresy, remember, this is poetry, y'all. I'm talking Robert Frost, Thoreau, Emily Dickinson. It's poetry. It's not scripture. But check this poem out from Charles Pegway. It's from his poem, The Portal of the Mystery of Hope. He says this, What surprises me, says God, is hope and I can't get over it. Don't you love that? That hope is so powerful and unexpected, Peguay says in his poem that it even surprises God himself. It shows up in a way that we don't expect. 
He doesn't show up as some conquering general on a war horse, but hope shows up as a helpless baby boy. He doesn't show up with some trumpet blast from the sky to important people, but with a whimper, quietly, to poor people. He doesn't arrive in the center of power or a global empire, but in the middle of nowhere Bethlehem, obscurity. In an animal stable, in a feeding trough, no less. Isn't that amazing? That the creator God put skin and bones on, and the king of all kings was laid in a feeding trough for animals. You can't get much more vulnerable or helpless than that. Yeah, Jesus wasn't born in front of everyone, Twitter, on some geopolitical stage. But he was born hidden and tucked away. You and I might have missed it. He didn't come to be the savior of a select few of one ethnicity or one socioeconomic group. But hope came in such a way to save the whole of humanity, rich and poor, black and white, Jew and Gentile, the insta-famous and the antisocial, the down and out and the up and coming, and everybody in between, even teenagers. (laughs) I'm the dad of a teenager, two of them, of course, even teenagers. We love you. Hope comes unexpectedly because it's centered on the person of Jesus. Hebrews 6.19, the writer of Hebrews tells us this, that we have a hope as followers of Jesus. We have a hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. There's some temple language there. Um, some Jewish temple language there, but for our purposes this morning, hope is described as an anchor. Why would hope be described as an anchor for our souls? Why is the writer of Hebrews drawing our attention to hope as an anchor for our souls? Because it's in, as Peter says, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the anchor for our souls. This is what we can bank our lives in. This is the anchor that's firmly placed within time and space in the person and death and resurrection of Jesus. Have you ever stopped to consider for a moment that Jesus was like this actual real person? Somebody give your neighbor a high five. There you hear that? Real people. You hear that? Like Jesus was this real person who you could give a high five to. Jesus was this real person who was actually born in the world, who actually toddled around, who was hungry. Like Jesus needed his diaper changed. Like Jesus was taught, there's a lot of toddlers running around our church right now. Jesus was like toddling around. Jesus was hungry, you know? Jesus needed fed. Jesus was like this real person, as real as the person who's sitting next to you. Jesus grew up. He he went to an actual Roman cross 
for your sin and for mine. He actually rose from the grave. There are extra biblical accounts. It's not just confined to the Bible that give witness to this real person of Jesus. You guys, we have a hope that's securely anchored in history. And if Jesus was a real person, like for real, for real, do you know how much more real that makes our hope? It makes our hope so much more real that you can bank your life on it. You can bank your life on it. Romans 8.38, Paul says this, that he's convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are we convinced, is our hope that secure, that nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing that you're going through right now, Nothing that you have been through in the past and nothing that you will face in the future will ever, ever separate you from the love of God. There's nothing that can take the person of Jesus away from you. Once you claim Jesus as Lord, he claims you and he's not letting go. He's not just paying rent. He's taking up residence in your life. And Jesus is faithful. He will never, ever leave you. Never, ever leave you. That's how real our hope is. From 1 Peter, our hope is not only anchored in a person or in history. Our hope in the present, so hope looking back, hope is also sustaining. Real hope sustains us. Peter says if we've claimed Jesus as Lord... That we have, we've been born, so there's life, into a living hope. That the hope of Jesus is alive. That's encouraging for me this morning. That the hope I'm banking my life on is living. N.T. Wright says this, Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. Don't you love that? the sudden nature of hope, that hope lands on you and that a different worldview is possible. Hope sustains us in the present. In the present. And this is where I've sensed God's presence this week for us. This piece here, that hope is sustaining, is for us, Vineyard Cleveland. My guess is that there are many of you who as Billy reminded us this morning, don't feel the warm fuzzies during Christmas time. Maybe the enemy has sought to introduce hopelessness to your soul. I'm here to encourage you this morning, as I encourage myself, to never give up. That even when there doesn't seem like there's any hope, even when it doesn't seem like God is working, There is hope in Jesus. Hope is a gift. Hope is like this gift that's given to us. 
in the split second in between when we felt like we've given up and right before the introduction of despair to our souls. Hope is a gift that God gives straight from the Father's heart in the 11th hour. Right for the weary soul. Hope is the unexpected faithfulness of God which arrives precisely when God means. And hope is a gift for us to understand just how loving God truly is. Hope is the most fragile thing that we can ever carry in this life. The reason why hope is so fragile is because we must cultivate it at the bottom of the pit, not at the top. Hope is fragile because we, we, we cultivate it at the bottom of the pit where no light is able to get in where we stumble around and grope at the darkness, where we're uncertain. Hope thrives in those places. That's what hope is for. Hope is the gift that Jesus gives us in the darkness. Hope only makes sense there. Hope only makes sense in the context of darkness. Scripture reminds us of this, that we don't, Hope for things that we can see. Did you catch that? that that's what Paul says. Paul, Paul asks rhetorically in Romans, who hopes for something they already have? Yeah, hope's given in the darkness where we can't see. When there is nothing to hope for after we've given up, when we're disillusioned, as that relationship just won't change, as the um, diagnosis of terminal cancer is given. That's where hope thrives. That's where hope is dangerous as well. Talk about that in a minute. But hope only makes sense in the darkness. Romans 8.24 says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Yeah, hope is a signpost to the faithfulness of Jesus, not an anticipated outcome. Hope always transforms our hearts, not our situations. If hope changes anything in our situation, it's us. Hope shifts us from saying, this life is impossible, it's impossible to bear. Hope shifts us from that to saying, this impossible life was never what I was made for. I was made for Jesus. That's the difference between hope and optimism. Now, it's not a bad thing to be optimistic. That's not bad. I was going to say but. And hope is deeper than optimism. You see, where optimism says things must get better, this is going to work out for my advantage. Hope says... Living hope that Peter talks about in the person of Jesus, hope says even when things don't work out, 
even when things don't go as I plan them to go, Jesus, you're still good. And Jesus, you're still in control. And Jesus, you're still faithful. And Jesus, you will never leave me, even when it doesn't go my way. Oh, come on. That's the good news. That Jesus' presence is what we get. See, optimism can only promise so much and come through on so much. Jesus is the only one who can ever deliver what Rick Ainsley said. He's the only one who will tell you the truth. Astley? Rick Astley? Rick Ainsley? Who is? Don't be Rick ruled. Jesus is the only one who can say in pure authenticity, I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to turn around and desert you. He's the only one who can say that. That's the difference between hope and optimism. That God is still at work in your life even though it might not seem like it. You might not feel like God is working in your life, but He is. You might feel like you're far away from God, but you're not. He's closer than your next breath. And other people, you might think, have no hope. There's actually hope for them as well. Even the people you disagree with. Even in that relationship that just won't budge. Even at your job situation that's not ideal. Even uh, with a a difficult family member or extended family member. That's where hope thrives the best. And that's the good news, is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The withness of Jesus, the withness of God in the person of Jesus. You see, again, this thing is all about presence. It's all about the living hope, the presence of Jesus in our lives. Because hope isn't like a genie in a bottle. It's just not. You know, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, and God love them, they're well-intentioned and well-meaning, will preach to you the message of the good news this way, that if you give your life to Jesus, everything will suddenly get better. I'm here to remind us this morning that that was never the good news, and it never will be. The good news is this. That when you give your life to Jesus, things may or may not get better. If you give your life to Jesus, that loved one may still die. Who's been given a terminal diagnosis. When you give your life to Jesus, you probably won't make any more money than you do now. So what's the difference? And why should you?
because you get him. You get him. You get the presence of Jesus through any storm in your life. You get the faithful presence of Jesus. That's what you get. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. You get him. And anyone who tries to sell you any more than that, don't believe him for a minute. Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle. He's just not. Things may improve in your life and and things may not. You may see some things get better. You may see other things get worse. But you get the faithfulness of Jesus. That's authentic hope. Amen. And that's why, like Isaac Watts wrote in the great Christmas carol, joy to the world, the Lord is come, not the Lord has come. Did you ever think that was strange, that those were the lyrics that we sing every year? Joy to the world, the Lord is come. It's strange, but it's so theologically deep. What Isaac Watts is saying is that he's putting the emphasis on the fact that Jesus is here now. That he's with you now. That the Lord is not the one who initiated this coming. But that he was sent by the Father. That you get Jesus' presence. A sustaining hope is one that is given in the present moment as a gift for us. In fact, we're told that hope deferred makes our hearts sick. And this is why, coincidentally, it takes courage to have hope. It's easy to give up. It takes courage to have hope because the alternative is much worse. The alternative is a sick heart. And this is the rub, isn't it? Because we put our hopes in something. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, don't get your hopes up? Could there be anything more sad, any two words in the English language more sad than no hope? Don't get your hopes up. That's someone who's been disappointed before. True hope says whether I'm disappointed or appointed, Jesus is with me. And I will get my hopes up. Dang it. No matter how many times that person hurts me. No matter how many times that person betrays me, no matter how many times I have to acknowledge the trauma in my life, I will put my hope not in my circumstances, but in the character of Jesus alone. That's where I can place my hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. If we want healthy hearts, It's going to require us to take courage and place our hope in Jesus again, even after we've been hurt. It's a tough assignment. I get it. But that's where hope thrives, in the things that we can't see. Paul writes that hope's the evidence of things you can't see. Hope's the evidence. Hope hope makes God visible to people around you. When you, as a follower of Jesus, express hope when everything is going wrong in your life and you choose hope in Jesus, it makes Jesus visible to the people around you in your life. 
it's the evidence of things unseen. Evidence in a courtroom context is visible. They hold it up in plastic baggies. Hope is the same way. It's dependable evidence with the fingerprints of God squarely on it. People know it when they see it. The world knows authentic hope when they see it. And you living your life following Jesus and the ordinary things of life through pain and through joy is the evidence of things people can't see. It's like the holograms in Star Wars. Do you see it? Hope, when you express hope, Obi-Wan is there. Or what's the game that they play in Star Wars? Do you see that? Hope is the evidence of things that you cannot see, touch, taste, or prod. Hope only becomes visible to the world when Christians choose to express it in difficult situations. Tweet that. Man, I'm giving it up today. (laughs) Hope's not only anchored in the past, it not only sustains us in the present, our hope is a completed hope in Jesus coming again. This is something Billy and I and others the other day were talking about. just doesn't get talked about a whole lot in the church today. That Jesus is coming back. He's not only a real person. His hope is not only alive and and living in our lives today. But Jesus will come back because he's a real person. Jesus is coming again. If the apostles back in the day thought that Jesus' return was imminent, that's how we should view Jesus' return too. He will come back. He will come back. Jesus is coming back for a second time. And the encouragement this morning is that there is a completed hope that is coming our way. That's headed straight towards you. That hope, in other words, hope has your name written all over it. You know, there's so much anxiety about the future in our cultural moment, isn't there? There are wars all over the face of the globe. That's nothing new. You know, there hasn't been a period of time in the history of planet Earth over the span of 30 years where there hasn't been some war on the face of the Earth. It really says something about our human tribe, doesn't it? There's war everywhere. Political governments are shaky and unstable. New technology is changing at a rate of pace that is scary for many people around the globe. There are people, the vast majority of people, living on less than a dollar a day. You, everyone here in this room is in the top 0.5% of 9 billion people. Human trafficking is rampant. Slavery is active in our world today. There's so much um, anxiety about how the future will turn out. And you see this expressed in America through the use of dystopian movies. Who loves a good sci-fi end-of-the-world thriller? 
Where are you at? One, two, a few. You love it, right? The good Hunger Games type of scenario. The anti-hero. We love to think about the, um, the future in a way in films and novels as like this thing that blows up in some atomic future, but the anti-hero comes in at the last minute and saves it. Completed hope looks like this. Here's John in Revelation. This is where we're headed. This will happen. Come, Spirit. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, here it is, now the dwelling of God is with men and women, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. John's like, how many times do I have to tell you God's going to be with you? And he will be their God. And here's what happens. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And here's the goods. He who is seated on the throne said this, I am making everything new. Brand new. Jesus is making everything new. He doesn't stop there. He says, then he said, write it down. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is completed hope. Completed hope is the presence of God dwelling with us. Completed hope is Jesus wiping tears from faces. Completed hope is no more mourning, no more crying, and no more death. That's what it looks like. That's what completed hope looks like. Come on, you guys, we're, we're loved by a God who loves us too much to let the world blow up in some dystopian post-atomic future. We're loved too much. We're loved to the extent that Jesus creates a completely new heaven and a completely new earth, and Jesus reigns and rules and wipes tears from people's faces. All mistrust banished. All relationships made right. No more poor. The poor at that time will no longer be with you. You know why? Because he will eradicate poverty. Everything restored. Jesus will put the world to rights and death will be done away with once and for all. 
Why don't you guys join me in standing?